The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Amen. If you would please take your copy of God's Holy Word and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Uh, This morning we come to the, the fourth commandment. We've been preaching through the book of Exodus. And this is a commandment that reminds us who is the Lord of our work. This is a command that reorients us to God who is in charge of our time and our days. And it's a reminder that we need to take time to be holy. It's a passage that helps us remember our Creator in in the days of our youth and all of our days, and it also reminds us of our need to rest in our restless world. And it rebukes those who, who never stop. You need to cease striving. You need to be still and know that God is God, and we need to exalt Him who cares for us body and soul, and who cares for the mundane of everyday life. Look with me at Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's holy word. Some of you know the name Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey is known for taking well-known events or stories, and he would tell you, though, some things that maybe a lot of people didn't know or think about in those contexts, some less-known things about those well-known events or stories. And then at the end of that, he would say his famous tagline, now you know what? The rest of the story. Well, I think the idea of rest on Sabbath is something that's pretty well known. But there's a lot more to the story. And there's things that some people don't think about or focus on when they think of this that I want us to consider. There's more of the story to tell. There's some key details to help us know the rest of the story. But this is going to be part one of our study because there's a, a lot in relation to this to consider in Scripture. But we're going to consider here this morning the Sabbath to Jews of the Old Testament and then the Sabbath in Jesus and the New Testament, which is really the pattern we've been following through all the Ten Commandments. But in some ways, there's going to be a biblical theology of rest here today as well that we're going to consider. There's some studies that take 20-plus hours. This study, in some ways, has taken 20-plus years uh, on and off as I've studied it, and even still continuing to grow and understanding this. But first, in the original context, what did the Sabbath mean to the Jews of the Old Testament? And there's a, a number of things it meant. The first is to stay near your home, to rest from all work. He says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. What's he asking them to remember? Go back to chapter 16, where this is recalling the context Chapter 16 is where the word Sabbath is used for the first time in the Bible. And Israel was to remember this. Verse 23, chapter 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. That means today on, on Friday. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. In other words, there was to be no cooking On the Sabbath, you needed to gather extra, you needed to get things ready the day before. So you didn't do that kind of work that you normally did. And then verse 29, see the Lord has given you, he says to Israel, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, 
Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. Now, as the law unfolds, this wouldn't be an absolute shelter in place in in the later law, but it was also not a day to travel across town. According to Exodus, Sabbath is not a day to go out of your house to, to gather with others. The command here in the beginning is to rest at your house and to remember this, God says. And, and look at chapter 20, how it introduces this, because there's another house that they've come out of, Exodus 20, verse 2. God brought them out of the house of slavery. This is their context. Pharaoh did not give them a day off. He was ruthless. They were groaning. He was always cracking the whip. But now God is giving a gracious gift to a former house of slaves and giving to them what they needed so they could stay in their house and rest this day. Now, this isn't absolutely forbidding leaving your tent for fellowship but it is focusing on ceasing all work for rest. Later in the law, they would make sure the tabernacle was a short walk from each home because the Levite law would call later for a, quote, holy convocation, a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So in all of your dwellings, it was to be a Sabbath to the Lord. On the seventh day was to be a day of, quote, complete rest. That's Leviticus 23, verse 3. About maybe a thousand years later, synagogues arose in communities. So we see this by New Testament times. This has become a a tradition. Also, they would have synagogues nearby in their communities where they could gather, but that was not required in the law. So that's the first principle. The second principle that it meant to the Jews was Saturday is Sabbath starting Friday evening. Look again at chapter 20, verse 10 now. The seventh day. Day is a Sabbath. Seventh day of the week is Saturday. And then the end of verse 11 says, God rested on the seventh day. There's emphasis on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is referring back to Genesis. You remember in Genesis, in creation, each day of the week, those six days, there was this phrase, and there was evening and there was morning The first day does that all the way until the sixth day. In our culture, we tend to think of a day as the the morning into the evening, but in in their culture, it's there's evening and there's morning. That's how you counted the day. So evening of the night before and then morning and the daylight hours until the next evening was the day. So Saturday rest started Friday night. Things had to be prepared before sundown on Friday. And this is a pattern that's rooted in creation. At creation week, God finished all of his work Friday before evening as a pattern. In fact, Leviticus 23, 31 says, In all your dwelling places, there's to be a Sabbath of complete rest. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And something else a lot of people may not notice, number three, is that this actually is commanding Sunday you shall work through Friday. Look at the text in verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. So you're to work all these other days except Friday night to Saturday night. This fourth command is to work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday until sundown. Get all of your work done in those hours. God is in his law calling for labor every day except the seventh day, and that's how they applied it. There's no question of that through their history. They would work on Sunday and every other day, and every time the New Testament speaks of a Sabbath day and uses that phrase, it's referring to this day. Even in the Gospels written many years or many centuries or decades later, centuries later, and so here's, we, we kind of come into a, a tension as we're thinking about this. If all of the Ten Commandments are all moral law for all times in the way that they are given. We're all lawbreakers. And, and Sunday was not a day off in Bible times. Sunday was a working day in the Roman Empire. 
at least four cent- into the fourth century later. Most believers worked all day Sunday in New Testament times. We do have a record of the church gathering on the first day of the week, on Sunday, and it's in evening, evidently after work, and it's evidently late because, if you know that story, it goes, the service went till midnight and the poor guy fell out the window. I promise not to go that long today. But just, we need to know the concept of a weekend with Sunday off is from more recent centuries long after Bible times. We sometimes want to read the way our Western world is back into it, but we need to start with the context. You shall work all other days except the Sabbath is, is part of the Ten Commandments, along with you shall not murder. Number one through three of the commands are all negative, what you shall not. But as we come to the fourth, and actually commands six through ten are also all negative, you shall not. This is a positive command, number four. It's rooted in creation, and it's rooted in God himself. It's the longest if you just count up the words in, in the commandments. And it's also right in the middle, and it's right in the heart of the law. This is part of what God thundered and what God wrote with his own finger on the tablets. And the commandment here is not just rest one day in seven It is always in Scripture emphatically the seventh day. And so if this command is for today in the way that God said it, we're in trouble even for for being here and for not working. Let's go to chapter 31. And actually the demand of the command gets worse, we might say. And that is stone violators by the congregation is part of the Sabbath law. Exodus 31 Verse 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And we read this in Numbers 15. In the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So there's a guy going around, he's he's gathering up sticks, probably to make a fire. Verse 35, and the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones. If you're a visitor here today, you might be getting a little nervous here. Just so you know, we are not going to be throwing stones at anyone today. But do you feel the tension as you're reading and seeing how this was given to them and what it means to keep the Sabbath holy and thinking about even... Yard work and housework, if, if you've done that. This is deadly serious in God's law. This is a holy, solemn duty starting Friday night in his law. And we need to remember, and, and if this is for today in the same way, we need to remember it not as a day that congregations gather for a sermon. It's a day where if originally in the law, if you gather sticks, you will actually get stoned by the congregation or other work as well to death. And this is part of the Sabbath command in Exodus, executing Sabbath breakers. And, and we feel the, the tension, but that's not all that was required on the Sabbath. Number five, sacrifice extra animals is also what the Sabbath meant. When it talks about keeping the Sabbath holy, there was a specific way he's going to tell them how to do that. And so the Sabbath had civil law. When we talk about the penalties for, for death and all that. And there's also this ceremonial aspect. In fact, look at Exodus 20 and verse 24, where he's going to expound more on on how they were to make things holy. Verse 24 of chapter 20, An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep. And he's going to explain, this is how you sanctify things in the law. So he gives the Sabbath command, but... How do you make the day holy? How do you set apart things as holy? This is crucial. Offering sheep is a key part of the Sabbath duty. Listen to Numbers 28, verse 9. On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs a year old without defect. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering. So there are regular burnt offerings, but there's extra requirements 
on the Sabbath day to keep it holy that they needed to offer additional animal sacrifices. This is all part of the Sabbath command. But as you read those numbers 1 through 5 in, in particular, number 3, 4, and 5, nobody does those today. Not even the Seventh-day Adventists, but not even the Jews who believe that all of this law applies to them. They, they don't carry out even 3 and especially 4 and 5 today, and there's some reasons why they don't do that. But to, we just need to see in God's law to obey making the day holy. There had to be burnt offerings of lambs. And there were extra sacrifices. And this is part of Exodus 20. This is part of the Sabbath requirement. And so you, you, we begin to see here, even within Exodus 20, we've, we've seen moral absolutes like no idols. But there's also ceremonial applications now, in particular, like sanctifying the Sabbath. There's a, a moral principle, I would argue, in the fourth commandment. And certainly God is holy. That's part of his moral character. But there's also a, a ritual part as to how to keep holy and, and how that looks in this covenant or in another covenant. Here's an interesting thing I read from a Jewish writer. The Jews, you may know, call the Sabbath in Hebrew Shabbat. And, and they tie it to Jewish ceremony. One Jewish writer says this, It is the only ritual commandment in the Ten Commandments. This almost surely means the Shabbat is the most important ritual in the Torah and therefore in the Jewish religion. More than any other Jewish ritual, the Shabbat preserved the Jewish people. And he quotes a Jewish writer who says, It's not just that the Jews kept the Shabbat. He says the Shabbat actually has kept the Jews. It's what's kept them through the years and kept them, to, kept them distinct. To them, it wasn't just moral law. There was also ritual and much of that and ties to the sacrificial system. Christians are not under Israel's civil or ceremonial law system, but I think there is timeless principle for us as, as we keep going here, and that's number six is seek rest in the Lord and in his redemption. Look at Exodus 20 again in verse 2. And really what it's doing is it's starting with redemption. How God had redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt. And then verse 8 says, remember. And, and so I take this part as, as, as part of the moral heart of it in verse 10. That all must obey. And that is to rest in the Lord. What does that mean to rest? It means to to trust, to, to lean on Him, to, to relax, to, to not fret, as the Psalms will apply this language of resting, not fretting, resting in Him. And, and in verse 11, without going to the Psalms or later Scripture, there, there's, I think, already a hint of the spiritual and not just physical, as he's using this language of holy and, and setting it apart. This is beyond the Jewish rituals. It, it what he ties this to is how God finished his perfect creation. He, he rested and he blessed the seventh day. And, and really what he was blessing is the state after creation. He finished everything in six days. He didn't start creating again the day after the seventh day. All of his work was created on the sixth day. And then from that day forward, God has not worked in creating things. Everything was created in those six days. Literal days and that literal day that followed it then becomes also a spiritual symbol of, of what paradise was and is to be. And, and it, it wasn't just a day, it started with that, but it was also this, this day that Adam and Eve uh, enjoyed in a way that we don't typically. It was a day of perfect, and a state, you might say, of perfect peace and rest. And what's interesting is when we come to that seventh day, it doesn't use that phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning, and that's the end of it. It just says he ceased his work, and he rested. And it doesn't give that same formula as if maybe to suggest that this, this state that now, this creation, this paradise that God has created now, that this is to be a continual blessing and refreshing and peace and rest, that that is what Eden was to be, not just for 24 hours, but from that day forward. 
as if it's leaving it open-ended. They were to be refreshing, resting in God, having fellowship with him, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And we don't know how many days that state continued, but we know by Genesis 3 that sin entered the picture and that perfect peace and rest now was broken because of the fall of, of man into sin. And Scripture from that time forward says things like this, there is no rest for the wicked. That, that rest has been lost because of sin. Sin makes us restless. Augustine said many years ago that we are made for God and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And I think he, he understood this and what he wrote about this. There's, a, there's this picture here of we've been restless since that rest was interrupted. And our rest is only found in God. And I think the fourth commandment and, and maybe the fifth also are looking forward to, and, and in some ways speaking of what's going to be redeemed from what sin lost in the garden. So look at verse 12 of Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He's looking forward from this time at Sinai to the land of Canaan, which they hadn't received yet. That was going to be given to them. And, and the scriptures will speak of this as their, their rest. And not just a physical place, but a rest they needed to enter into by faith. There's a, a paradise lost. But there's this wonderful land and rest now that, that Canaan, they were looking forward to, flowing with milk and honey and, and many, much of the imagery of what was lost there. This is like a restoring in some way what had been lost. And, and there was a, in the weekly Sabbath a, a picture of that as they were looking forward to that from Sinai. And I think the middle of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, is, is, is in some ways pointing forward to the heart of what the New Testament is actually going to expand on. That we'll get to. So Ephesians 6 actually quotes that fifth command, but it expands it beyond Israel's land in Canaan. He says in Exodus 6, Honor your father and mother that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Not in the land of Canaan, but on the earth. Jesus takes language that was applied to Canaan in the Old Testament and says things like this, The meek shall inherit what? The earth, not just the, the land of Canaan now, it's being expanded upon those Old Testament promises. And, and I would argue the fourth commandment also expands. Israel was setting apart one day to God in this rest. But we read things in the New Testament like Romans 14 where some believers set every day apart and, and esteem it as, as if it's, it's bigger now and, and better in Jesus that we can rest in Him Always, and we still need times to do that, but, but we want to seek refreshment in his redemption. There, there's even a, a statement in Acts chapter 3 as he's urging them to, to turn, to, to repent and turn from their sins and, and come to this Messiah. He says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That refreshing was language used of the Sabbath. He says, come to Jesus for, for that true and ultimate and, and bigger times of refreshment that go in the times of Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, the command expands from Israel, from one nation, to all nations and all of life. Let me read Exodus twenty-three, twelve: The seventh day you shall rest, so that the son of your servant woman and the alien, that's the foreigner, may be refreshed. It wasn't just for the Jews, it was that those with them would be blessed as God had promised to Abraham, the, the sons of their servants, the foreigners, the aliens, they need to be refreshed as well. And so this, don't think of this as, as some later did as a restricting duty. Think of the, the Sabbath as to, it was to be a refreshing delight and a, and a picture of an even greater and fuller and bigger and better one to come. And every Saturday can still be a day to remember God's perfect creation and His plan to redeem it, but also his plan to redeem nations. They're, they had a weekly foretaste of a wonderful 
future. But redemption is, is part of this. Listen to Deuteronomy 5.14. So Exodus 20 and then Deuteronomy 5 repeats the Ten Commandments. Here's what it adds. Deuteronomy 5.14. For the sojourner who's within your gates, your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out. That's redemption. He's saying, you need to remember, you were slaves. You were slaves in the land of Egypt. Do you remember what it was like to be slaves? But he says, the Lord your God brought you out. He redeemed you. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, to keep the Sabbath rightly. They needed to remember that they were slaves and then remember that they're not now through the redemption of their Lord, bringing them out. And so this Sabbath rest was rooted in redemption. But it was also to be shared with Gentiles who had never experienced that physical slavery. They were to also share it with them as well. And so the Old Testament later explains there was a rest to come in the future. Creation needed a redeemed new creation Rest. Here's how the Reformation Study Bible says it in Exodus 20. The Sabbath looks forward to the final redemptive rest. And it goes on, ultimately, the Sabbath points to Christ, our Creator and Redeemer, who brings rest to the people of God. And the Sabbath, it goes on to talk about how it can be enjoyed by sharing His rest, celebrating His work of creation and, and redemption. And, and certainly today we, is a, a part of us doing that, but this resting in the Lord is a moral abiding principle beyond Israel. There was a greater redemption coming from those who heard these words at Sinai. But Psalm 95 says, Israel, that whole generation, failed to enter that rest. Even as some of them went into physical Canaan, they did not enter that rest. And so we need to go to Matthew 11 for the rest of the story. This is going to take us from the Sabbath to Jews in the Old Testament to the Sabbath in Jesus and the New Testament. I think the Ten Commandments go beyond the physical. We've already seen that in how the New Testament applies them. This fourth commandment was originally an order to physically stay at home, to sacrifice animals, to stone Sabbath breakers, to physically work on Sunday and rest on Saturday, but... Like many Old Testament realities, Jesus redefines and Jesus expands and Jesus transforms. And and the Jews of his day were wanting to just make this about a day and do's and don'ts and debates about the minutia. But Jesus wants them to know it's about him. And this is the first time, Matthew 11, that the New Testament talks about rest and then it's going to talk about Sabbath Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for what? For your souls. This is spiritual rest. This is the rest of salvation that Israel missed. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Then right after he says that, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read... What David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor of those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law? Now remember, these are the guys who prided themselves on reading the law. Some of them had it memorized. Have you guys read the law, he says? How on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath. In other words, they break the Sabbath by working 
and are guiltless. Have you ever read how the, the priests are actually commanded to do extra work on the Sabbath? They're not guilty. I tell you, this is the key statement, something greater than the temple is here. There's something greater than the temple that's here. And if you had known what this means, and again he's quoting from their scriptures, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is what God says in the Old Testament. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? He says, if you've got an an emergency with one of your animals, you're going to help it, and and you're going to get on my case because I'm helping a human being made in God's image. You guys have missed it, he's saying. And he tells them it's lawful to do good works on the Sabbath, and he rebukes them for getting all worked up. But notice, he does not defend the Sabbath as a moral law like the rest. The way he speaks here is not the same way he speaks of idolatry and adultery and murder, which are never right for anyone under any circumstance. Jesus, in verses 3 through 4, says it can be right to break Sabbath as ceremonial law, just like David with the priestly law and what he did. And then in verse 5, he, he ties it to the sacrificial system. There were priests who worked on the Sabbath. Would God have commanded them to do that if, if no one could do any work They had to do double duty to obey ritual law. And there wasn't any law, we'll just then take the day after it off. But more than that, verse 6 is is, Jesus is pointing to a bigger and better reality than the Sabbath tasks. There's something greater than the temple. And he ties in the temple because the, the temple was so associated with this whole concept of Sabbath. And Jesus would later say that he is the temple. He is the replacement of the temple and everything with it and associated with it that pointed to him. Greater than the temple, greater than David, greater than Solomon, the new covenant priestly ministry of Jesus is here. It's here. This is what all those things were pointing to. It's here, and you guys don't see it. And in verse 8, To add to it, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm in charge of this, not you guys. Not your rules, not what you come up with for other people. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And the Lord of the law can change how the law applies. And he's, in verses 9 and 12, again, not speaking of it always as a moral absolute there can be times where we're doing effort and work can be a moral obligation. He gives an example of mercy and necessity. There's a note that Mark's gospel adds, and I think Luke's also. In this same occasion, Jesus taught that you can't put new wine in old wineskins. And, and the concept there is, is the new covenant and what Jesus is teaching is not going to be able to fit in the old trappings. He said it would make it burst. It's bigger, it's better than that. It can't fit that old setting. And then he gives this Sabbath story. There was another Sabbath where he did the work of healing a woman, and then he rebuked the hypocritical Pharisees by saying, don't you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from your manger and lead it to water? You know you need to still do some of the work on your farms to care for your animals so they don't die, and you're going to get upset because I healed a, a woman. He's exposing their hypocrisy. And then John five sixteen says, The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing, what he was doing was the work of healing on the Sabbath. And this is how Jesus answered them. He didn't say, no, no, you misunderstood. He says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus says, I am working. 
I am working. And then it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. They understood God after the six days of creation were done. God would still need to do the work of of sustaining things, even though creation has ceased. But I think Jesus goes beyond that, say, God the Father's working, I'm working, but he, he's doing the work of salvation. He's, he's doing the work not of creation now, he's doing the work of redeeming and delivering, and he's going to do that every day. But in particular, he chooses to do it on the Sabbath day repeatedly to show his lordship and to show that he is God. God stopped his work of creation, but he is working for salvation. Think about this. At creation week, God finished all of his work on Friday. Now think about Passion Week. What happened on Good Friday? At the very end, what does Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. He's finished the work of salvation for all who would believe in him. He's, he's finished all of it. He says, it is finished. And, and as he dies on the cross, the, the veil of the temple and that whole system is torn from top to bottom to show there's a, a new administration, a new covenant now. There's a new way of access to the Lord now. And that rest, I love this thought, that rest of paradise lost is now, even while he's on the cross, being restored to those who believe. Remember the guy next to him who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns to him and says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. In paradise. That paradise had been lost Here's a guy that had been doing evil works all of his life. He's hanging on the cross. He's got no opportunity to do good works. All he can do is just trust Jesus, beg Jesus for mercy in his kingdom. And Jesus tells you, this day you're going to be in that paradise rest that was lost. I love that. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And when his work of salvation was done, he rested. He rested in the tomb. Literally on that literal Sabbath as it was over. And then he literally, on the first day of the week, rose again to bring spiritual Sabbath to believers who rest in him and who are to worship him on the day that he is risen and completing all of that. So, so go to Hebrews 4, but just remember that new command that Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest for your souls. It's, it's in me, Jesus says. Don't miss this. The first New Testament use of the word Sabbath and the word rest is about salvation. And, and I believe its last one is to the end as well. Think about this. The Israels in the time of Exodus had weekly rest. But God swore they would not enter the rest to come. Because they didn't believe. Is there still a Sabbath rest for us? Is there still hope that we can enter that rest like that thief on the cross? Here's what Hebrews 4 says, that that promise still stands for us. Verse 3, here's how we enter it. For we who have believed enter that rest. The implication is unbelievers who might do all kinds of physical things have not entered what that rest ultimately is. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. He's quoting from the commandment and from Genesis there. But now verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day. And he doesn't describe this day as Saturday or Sunday. Here's how he calls it, today. Here's the, the day that's appointed, today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This, this day now that he's appointing is whatever day today is. Whatever day you are hearing his voice don't harden your hearts. Don't be like those Israelites that hardened their hearts and got into all kinds of legalism. 
about this very subject. Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, verse 8, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I think this is the same rest that Jesus was speaking of, of salvation, ultimately pointing to heaven and, and paradise. But we, we enter it now by faith. Verse 3 is in the present tense. Not that we will enter, the, enter this when we, when we die, but we, this eternal life starts here. When the Bible talks about us having eternal life, it's not that we will have eternal life. We have this eternal life now. It just continues beyond when we die. And so don't think, as you read Hebrews 4, of an Old Testament day. Think of the ultimate rest of salvation. And he describes it as resting in the Lord, not resting in our own works. We're not resting on our own accomplishments. We're not trusting in the works that we do to get us there. This is a rest that is forever to the end of days, but we can enter this rest any day, as long as it's called today. As long as you have breath in your lungs, this day, as you hear his voice, you can enter this rest, but you must not harden your heart. This rest is offered every day. Israel got one day of rest. This rest is offered every day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, rest in the Lord that Jesus called them to. Come to me. We need to strive to enter that rest. Cease all other striving. Don't harden your heart today, lest he say to you in his wrath that you will not enter rest. This is the way the Psalms spoke of rest. One of them was, was read earlier in our call to worship Here's another, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. We have to tell ourselves to do this. Because we want to rest in so many other things. We don't find rest in him. So we need to tell ourselves, restore, O oh my, rest my soul in God alone. I think the call to worship earlier said, return, O oh my soul, to your rest, your rest in the Lord one of Elizabeth Elliot's precious promises that she rested in, even in the loss of her husband, was this verse from Psalm 91, that he who dwells in the tabernacle of the Most High, who rests in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the one who's blessed, the one who can rest in the Almighty, all-sovereign, all-sufficient God. One of the hymns asks it this way, Do you rest each moment... In the crucified, are you walking daily by the Savior's side? There's a story of a missionary named John Patton who was in uh, some islands in a, a group where they did not have the Bible in their language. They were an unreached people group, but he was there and evangelizing them, and he's trying to translate Scripture into their language. But the word for faith or believe he just he just as he's talking with them couldn't find a, an equivalent word that really covered it and then some of you maybe heard this story while he's there this man comes from hunting and there's this hammock and he just falls down on the hammock but right before he says that he says oh i need to their word for rest throw your whole weight on something and he says that's the word right there i've been looking for that's the word for believe that's the word for faith for trust you throw your whole weight on something and you're trusting that it's going to hold you up resting in the lord you need to come to jesus all who labor for the rest for our soul but we have to cease striving by our own works we've got to lean completely on him and rest in faith. And this passage says, we believe and enter that rest, present tense now, but the future full final rest is not yet. We're, we're going to sing just a few moments here. I rest in you, abide with me until our trials and sufferings give way to final victory. And I think that's exactly what Hebrews is talking about. 
resting in him. But there's a final victory. That's a Christian's daily prayer in it. It says this, be glorified today. All of life, every hour is yours. Let me read from the Heidelberg Catechism in 1563. God's will for you in the fourth commandment is first, talks about gospel ministry and the church, but second, I think this ties in with what Hebrews is talking about, that every day of my life, every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. I let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. We can begin that in this life as we rest in him. Calvin's Catechism for Children, written around that same time, explained that Israel's Sabbath, in his words, quote, observance of rest is part of the ceremonies of the ancient law which was abolished at the coming of Christ. And then the children were to ask, do you mean that this fourth commandment properly belongs to the Jews and it was given for the time of the Old Testament? Calvin's reply is, I do insofar as it is ceremonial. So the children would ask, is there anything that's not ceremony? And here's the reply. Three things. To represent spiritual rest. Also for aid of church order and for the relief of servants. We need to care for those who would work and, and work for us. And on that, on that first one, the kids would ask, what is this spiritual rest? It's to cease from our own works, that the Lord may work in us, mortifying and renouncing our own nature, so that God may govern us by his Spirit. And we must do it every hour. But because of our weakness, one day is specially appointed. So we should do this all the time, but we need, we need times to come together to do this. But here's the last question. Is this to be done only one day of the week? Answer, this is to be done continually. After we have once begun, we must continue all our life and meditate continually on the works of God. And so there's, there's value in a day for church and rest from work, our forefathers taught. But spiritual rest is to be daily and primary. And I think he and the reformers in the 1500s got it right. I, I would differ with some of the later developments of the English Puritans and the confessions, how they articulated it. But it's not about old covenant law and, and legal restrictions on the Jews and how we bring them over and lists with little do's and don'ts. It's about the Lord of the Sabbath. It's about resting in him. And we can do that on Saturday. We can do that on Sunday. But it's better every day. Now, next week, we're going to look more at worship and the workplace. But even what we've already seen in number one through five on that list there, I think we can apply number one through two by resting more at home, receiving the gift of rest, slowing down and receiving and and knowing that we need that. We're not better than those who have gone before us. Some of us would do well to rest on Saturday night and get prepared for, for coming to be with God's people so that you're not falling asleep. And and I do see you when you do that, by the way. Now you're awake, hopefully. We don't have to work on Sunday the same way Israel did. But we get to do the Lord's work on the Lord's day. To to serve, to to be hospitable, to, to serve others. We should do that. We don't stone Congregations, we're not going to the parking lot after the service. But congregations should deal with sin and discipline and discipleship. We don't offer animal sacrifices, but we are called to offer ourselves financially to to the church and, and ultimately to offer our own bodies as spiritual sacrifices, which is our worship that is commanded of us. It just looks differently, but those principles are still there. We're not under the laws, penalties, or ceremonies that Jesus fulfilled, but there are applications for us, and we'll look at some more of those next week in part two and questions we can't cover today. But the main point is rest in the Lord. How does that look in a restless world? I think few have lived as stressful a life as Hudson Taylor. He was the founder of the China Inland Mission, incredibly busy man. 
But he learned how to live in God's rest. His own son family wrote of this as part of his spiritual secret. There's a book, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor. And here's what was written of him. Day and night, this was his secret. To As one of the Psalms talks about resting in the Lord by rolling your burden over to the Lord. That's from Psalm 37. To commit your way to him. To that, those heavy burdens, those things that are heavy laden on you, to roll those over to him. That takes that takes effort and, and prayer to, to give that over to, to God and then to leave it there. If it starts rolling back like a boulder, you've got to push it back. Put it on Him. Don't fret, Psalm 37. Rest in the Lord. They said this, that sometimes at 2 or 3 in the morning, he'd still be doing things, getting up to do things, but they could hear him humming. Those in his little house there in China would hear him humming a, an old hymn, Jesus, I am resting. Resting. If you want to look at what that can look like to be resting in the Lord more, look up that hymn. Jesus, I am resting. Resting was his favorite hymn. He learned that only one life was possible. Resting and rejoicing and being refreshed in the Lord in all circumstances as he let the Lord of the Sabbath, deal with those difficulties, those burdens, those things that would make him heavy laden. He gave them over to him, great and small. And Ken Hughes says, it's possible to live a life as harried and as busy as, not hairy, but busy, (laughs) as Hudson Taylor, and yet be resting. Resting is trusting. And so, believer, you can have, even in this life, perpetual Rest as you rest in him. Augustine knew this from his own experience. He writes about this in his confessions. Regardless of what we attain or obtain in this world, that restlessness can be cured if we find that rest in the Lord. It's in his redemption. And I would just throw out a couple books also. Um, on There's a great chapter on rest in a book by David Murray on Reset living a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. And then Refresh by Shona Murray, his, his wife. Refresh, this is for women, embracing a grace-paced life in a world of endless demands. I think in our world in particular, we need to be thinking about the, the principles of rest and even for our souls, but also for our bodies that God has put in place. But here on your... Study guide sheet, question number seven in your bulletin. I encourage you to think about later. Where do you need to pursue spiritual rest and refreshment? In what ways can that happen in a special way on the Lord's Day? And then in what ways do you need to pursue that every day? I want to leave that question to you for the Spirit to work in our hearts, but we need to all think more about these things and the rest of this story that God has given to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your gifts, for your grace. Thank you even for this time to be still and to be reminded that you are God and that we are not. And Lord, even our our need for rest every evening is a reminder that we are not like God who never slumbers or sleeps. I pray that you would help us to pursue the rest that we need in you and also to consider how our lives can learn from your wisdom and these principles. We pray these things for the glory of the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen.